we have been looking at the 12 apostles, more specifically the 12 disciples um, of Jesus. We've been going through each one of them. And uh, we've talked about the idea that they basically break down into three groups of four. And there's kind of a leader for each one of the groups. And we talked about the idea that the first group was Peter. And Peter was kind of the head over all the disciples. He's the one that's often most talked about in, in the New Testament. And we talked about the idea that the first group before was Peter, James, John, and An- or Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and that those guys kind of hung together a lot. And then we talked about um, the second group that we got into, um, which was Philip. Uh, Philip kind of was the leader of that, and that was Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. And we ended last week talking about Thomas. So we've gone through eight of them. Now we get into the last group of guys, and they're the guys we don't know a lot about. So a lot of people, when they go through this series, when they go through a series of 12 disciples or 12 apostles, they kind of take this last group and they lump them all into one group because there's just not a lot said about them. And that would be easy to do. But I don't want to do that because I think there's a reason God chose these 12 guys and I think there's a lesson from all of their lives. And so today I'm going to lay some groundwork a little bit for one of those guys and actually for the last group and then... We're still going to walk through them uh, kind of individually. Uh, and, and we'll spend some time, you know, and the last group is Judas Iscariot, and so we'll, we'll talk about him. Um, but we've been learning different things about each of the disciples. From Peter, we learned that idea that you don't have to have your act together to follow God. God, we're all a work in progress. Uh, we talked about the idea of Andrew, who was always bringing people to Christ, is really what we should all be doing. Um, we talked about James, who uh, James... James and John both had tempers, but James is the one who learned to add mercy to that, 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 that passion that he had. And John's one who focused on truth. Uh, then we got to Philip, and we talked about the idea that um, you, you, you've got to be careful about missing the big picture because he kind of missed it quite a bit um, with, in, in, in understanding what God was doing. Uh, we talked about the idea of Nathaniel who was prejudice, you know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And it was the idea of, we're not careful, our biases, our prejudices, our preconceived ideas can send us down a wrong road if we're not careful. And then we talked about Matthew, who really encourages the idea that um, God can use anybody. And I don't care what your past is, I don't care how ugly, I don't care how nasty, I don't care how spotted, God can take that and he can still use it. And Matthew is a great example of that. And then last week we talked about Thomas, and you know him as Doubting Thomas, but we talked about the idea that that pessimism literally was in in many ways heroic. Because although he looked often at the negative side of it, he was also incredibly committed to Christ. And when he looks at at Jesus and says, look, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, we'll go too, we'll just die with you there. He was serious about the idea that he was going to follow Jesus no matter what. And even if that meant dying, he was okay with that. And so we talked about that heroic kind of pessimism. This morning we're going to get into a guy by the name of James, sometimes called James the Younger or James the Less. But before we do, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Okay, So bear with me here, and, and this will tie into what we're going to say at the end, but um, it'll make sense. So you just got to trust me here. Since this week's the inauguration and since uh, uh, all of that is happening and there's going to be a lot of focus on Washington, D.C. this morning, I want to take you to one of the monuments in Washington, D.C. Some of you know what this is. I'm throwing that first picture, guys. Um, this is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Now, what you should know is there's no official designation for this. It's not officially designated that. We just happen to know it as that. 
Let me tell you some things about this particular monument that's in Washington. Do you ever get the chance? You go to Arlington, and you've got to go there, and you've got to watch the changing of the guard. The honor guard happens every half hour. Um, and it's an incredibly sacred, solemn place. Okay, And it's, it, it's filled with all kinds of protocol. Many of you have seen the, the commitment that the, the guards make to this, the honor guard guys. Tell you a little bit about the monument. There are four sides to this. Um, two of the sides, the north and the south side, have three wreaths on them. Um, this, this particular monument was dedicated to the World War I soldier, unknown soldier. I'll tell you how all that came about in a second. But when they designed this monument, it has uh, three wreaths on each side uh, for a total of six wreaths. Those six wreaths represent the six major conflicts of World War I. Um, on the uh, north side of it, I'll throw up that next picture. This is something you don't see uh, very often. Um, uh, let me see, which figure is it? Oh, this is the east panel. This is the east panel. There are three uh, figures that are on that, uh, on that stone. Greek figures, um, they represent the idea of peace, victory, and valor um, are on that side. A lot of people don't see this side of it. And then on the other side of it, go to the next uh, slide, guys, um, is the inscription. And it says, here rests, in honor and glory, an American soldier, known only to God. And um, that is the monument that actually sits there. What happened is in 1921, they approved this particular monument um, to the unknown soldiers that had, been, had died and were buried in World War I. What they did was... Uh, they had to come up with a way to do this, so what they did is they took uh, four, they exhumed four bodies that were buried in France that they didn't know the name of. Um, they put them in, in four caskets um, over in France, and then um, on uh, Memorial Day in 1921, um, a U.S. Army Sergeant Edward Younger, uh, he had been wounded in combat, he was incredibly decorated for valor, he had received a Distinguished Service Award. He was chosen to pick one of the four caskets. He was given a white rose, and he was told to go and lay the rose on one of the four caskets. And he picked the third one from the left. He put the rose on. The other, the other three were taken and buried in France. That particular casket was then shipped over to the United States. It sat in the rotunda. And then on uh, Veterans Day in 1921, they established this monument and put that casket in for a World War II uh, World War I um, veteran, um, that we don't, do not know uh, his name. That established it. Um, the, the honor guard, talk about that at the end here, but just so you know, uh, that didn't come about until about 1937, I think. Uh, what happened was after they put up this monument, because it's in such a picturesque place overlooking Washington, people would go and picnic on top of the monument. And so volunteers felt that wasn't right, and they started guarding it during the day. Well, in 1937, they put a 24-hour watch on it. And that kind of established the honor guard precedent that we have today where that, that particular monument is always guarded. Um, what, what happened is then later, if you'll notice, there are three slabs in front of it. Okay? Later, what happened was they came along and they decided to do one for World War II veterans. And so the first one is for World War II unknown soldiers. What they did is something very, very similar. They took two unknown caskets, one from the Pacific Theater and one from the European Theater, and uh, they put them on a ship, 
uh, they got the they, they got these particular bodies from uh, in uh, uh, they got these particular bodies, put them on a ship. Hospital corpsman, first class William Sharrett, he was the Navy's only active Medal of Honor recipient. He selected which of the two caskets went into this plate. On the ship on the way over, he picked one. We don't know which one it was from the, which theater it was from. The other casket was buried at sea. They took that particular casket that he picked and put it there as a monument to our World War II veterans uh, that were unknown uh, in, in unmarked graves. Uh, later, they wanted to add the Korean War. And so the middle one there is for the Korean War. They actually picked four um, unknowns uh, deal. And they made the selection. And actually, as I understand it, there's actually two caskets there. Um, and two, they were each awarded um, the Medal of Honor. And um, they were interned there in honor of the uh, Korean veterans. The last one is for the Vietnam veterans. Uh, what happened was, and it's kind of a unique thing, there's actually no body there. Because as we progressed with DNA technology, um, they actually opened, they had, they had a, a, a body in there. They actually opened it up with DNA testing, were able to identify that person. So they took that out and they changed the top of the slab to read, uh, Honoring and Keeping Faith in America's Missing Servicemen from 1958 to 1975. And so uh, if you know anything about this particular thing, there's a mat that gets changed actually twice a year in which the honor guard changes every 30 minutes, and they walk, and it's incredibly solemn. There is no noise. There is All you can hear is the walking and the clicking of the heels. That's, that, that's it. Uh, it's an incredibly uh, rigorous process to be part of that honor guard. Uh, just a couple, and some of you have read all the stuff about that, so I'm not going to get into all of that, but a couple of things that will stand out to you. There's actually a badge given to people after they have done that for nine months. Um, it is the second rarest badge given in our military for people who have served in the honor guard. The first, the rarest badge is that of an astronaut. Um, so, you know, you're either an astronaut, you know, if you're an astronaut, you've got the rarest badge of all. Second rarest is for the honor guard um, group. Uh, the thing that you should know that probably that's very, very unique about this, if you know anything about the military, there's a lot of, of emphasis on rank. The one thing that happens at the Tomb of the Unknown is no soldier in the honor guard wears his rank. And here's the reason. They wanted the honor to go to the men or women who were buried here representing those who we did not find bodies for. And so they didn't want anyone standing there who would outrank anyone who was interned and they did not want the attention to go anywhere but to the unknown soldier. And so they are without, without rank in, in the people that, that, that walk that map. I say that to say this. One of the things that our country has realized is the value of the unknown. That average person, that person who simply did their job that they were called to do, never got recognition, never got any fame, we don't know what happened to them. They're simply an unknown. When we start looking at these last disciples, they're the unknowns. They're the people whose names are mentioned maybe once, 
And even when we look at James this morning, we know more about his mother than we do him. Because he's mentioned in the list, and he's mentioned in regards to his mother. When we get into the history of it, we don't know what happened to him. We got some guesses, and we don't even know how, for sure how he died. He's often called James the Less, or James the Younger. So Mark, I'm going to go to the one reference where we probably know the most about him, and that's in Mark. Here's what it says. Uh, Mark chapter 15. This is at the cross, at, 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 the at the tomb, actually. After the death of Christ on the cross. Some women were there watching from a distance. Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Josie. So that was his brother. Salome and others. That's it. There you go. James the Younger. Actually, in Greek, the word is James the Mikros. Uh, Mikros has the idea of small or less. We get our word micro from the word Mikros. Okay? So it's the idea of James, the guy who was less. A lot of theories. Some of the theories is he may have been less in stature. He may have been a short guy. Some of the theories are that um, uh, he was the younger. So he was younger in age, less in age than the other guys. Uh, probably the most common theory is the idea that he was less in reference. For instance, in the disciples, you always know about Peter, James, and John. So to distinguish him from James, with Peter, James, and John, he was James the less, the younger, the other guy. Um, I get this because in my household, I, I'm a junior. Okay, So what that means is my dad's name is James Gordon Thomas Sr., and I'm James Gordon Thomas Jr. Okay, And I had a kid that's the third, and, and he's going to end it. Um, there's not going to be any fourth. Um, so I don't, yeah. So anyway, uh, but, so anyway, but when I grew up, as I start to get my teen years, when my friends would call the house, this was back before cell phones, kid. We had one phone hung on the wall. Everybody used it. You know, it was, it was just, you know, it was prehistoric. But anyway, <clears throat> um, when someone called the house, I, I grew up listening to mom said, my mom said, we want big Jim or little Jim. So I, I kind of grew up with that. So I get this. So we talk about James the less or James the younger or James, you know, James the little one. I, I understand this concept. And so to me, that's kind of a nice fit. Um, there is a theory out there that he was also James the son of Alphaeus. And we know that Matthew's dad was named Alphaeus. So th 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 there's some ideas here that he may have actually been related to Matthew. We often see, like James and John, Peter and Andrew, we see brothers following Jesus. So there's some theory that he may have been related to Matthew. But again, all of that's kind of speculation. You know why? We just don't know a lot about the guy. We just don't know a lot about the guy. Um, now, you say, okay, so I get that. So what does that mean for us? Oh, so much. And that's what we want to talk about. One main idea. And, and then we're done here, but I'm going to try to drive it home every which way I can today. You need to understand that in the kingdom of God, everyone's important. You know, you need to understand that when we go through the 12 disciples, it's easy to focus on the big guys. But the little guys, they were just as important. And their value to the kingdom was just as valuable as the people, as the Peter, James, and Johns 
that were working with Jesus. These were the same guys that were doing miracles with Jesus, the same guys that were following, the same guys that were sitting around questioning. They were all part of that. And sometimes I think we forget that it's the guy in the middle. It's the guy who's not getting the limelight that has just as much value as the person up front. And that's an incredible truth when we really start to grasp it as believers because I think sometimes we forget that. And I think um, if we're not careful, we start to use that as an excuse to not let God use us. And and I think that's the danger over here. Um, One of the things that you see is that in all the disciples, when we talk about disciples, who's the focus supposed to be anyway? Jesus. Focus on the disciples. It's the disciples who followed Jesus. It's about how they followed Jesus and where they where they did well and where they where they fell short. That's what we want to learn from them. We want to learn from them how to follow Jesus. We don't want to follow Peter, James, and John. We want to learn things that Peter, James, and John did well, and we want to emulate those. We want to learn things that they did poorly, and we want to stay away from those. James, what do we know about him? He followed Jesus. That's what we know. We know that when Jesus picked 12 guys to continue on his kingdom after he was gone, this is one of the guys that he pointed out and said, look, you're always going to be in the background, but you're one of my guys. By the way, in eternity, they're one of the 12. James is one of the guys. James the lesser. James the Micros, James the smaller guy. He's one of the guys that rules. In the same way that Peter, James, and John rule. But in the New Testament... He's just in the background. You know, and, and I understand the value of this. But, you know, my, my background in college was theater. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and you understand, I, I did all aspects of it. I did the stage crew thing as well as the acting thing. But one of the things that you learn in theater is, you know, that, is that everybody is important. See, when you go to a play, you focus on the actors. What you don't know is there's a whole group behind that actor that's making everything get pulled off. They're everything from the costume designer to the makeup person to the prop person. Um, when we had plays, um, we, had, we had a prop master, a prop guy, and what he would do is he had a, he had a table set up with all the props in line by the scene. And when, that way you didn't have to keep track of your props because often you go in and out and, and, and you, would, you would change props or stuff like that. So when you got ready to go out, he knew what scene it was, what act it was, and he had the prop for him. He goes, here, you know how valuable that is when you're an actor and you're getting ready to go on scene and you go and you're trying to think through your lines and think about this and, and all of a sudden the guy goes, here, this is what you're going to need. You know how important it is when, and, and I've been in both situations. I've been in situations where when the curtain opened, I was one of the first people on stage and I've been in, in situations where when the curtain closed, I was one of the last people on the stage. You know how important it is when you're standing at, uh, in front of in our case, where we perform, 3,000 people. There's 3,000 people out there now. You say the end of your line, the lights go down, the microphone goes off, and the curtain shuts. Can you imagine saying your line? And the guy in the curtain goes, ah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. We'll just see how good he is. We'll just let him stand out there for a while, see how he handles it. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the mic guy who forgets to turn it up and down? Now, I was in, where we were, we didn't use mic, so 
Um, that's why I learned to be really loud all the way to the back. But, <clears throat> I mean, can you imagine the guy who gets the mic thing wrong? Or the guy who gets the lighting thing wrong? And all of a sudden, you got a scene where you're like lit up over in the corner and everything else in the stage is dark, and you're standing there, and the guy, the light guy, lights up that side of the stage, and you're in the dark? See, it takes all of those people to pull it off. We give attention to the person up front, and, and that is no different in the world. It is no different. Look, some of you play sports, you know, and we talk about, oh, that quarterback's so good. You know what? That quarterback's only as good as the rest of the team in front of him. Give me a center who can't snap him the ball. We'll see how good he is. You know, give me, give me, give me a guy. Give me a, give me a guy who doesn't have a point guard who can get the ball down the court quickly. You'll see how good he is. You know, uh, you know, we we don't pay attention to all of this stuff. You know. You know, give me a pitcher who has a catcher who can't catch. We'll see how good he is. You know? But again, why? Because in, in sport, you, you realize, and everybody goes, oh, it's a team effort, it's a team effort, it's a team effort. But we're going to give you a multi-billion dollar, con- multi-million dollar contract because, you know, you're the guy. Well, you're only as good as the other people that are with you, too. You might be exceptional in your area, but there's something to be said for everybody who's letting you do your job. Because why? Because it's, it's a team thing. And look, the church of Christ, the church of God is no different. It is so easy sometimes for us to focus on, oh, you know what? Oh, that person can really sing well, or they can play well, or, or he can preach well, or, or, or they can do that well. It's so easy to focus on that and think that is what this is, but it's so far from the truth. You know, you came in there this morning, they walked into a restroom because somebody came in here and cleaned them. Because I saw them on Friday when we left. I saw the lobby out here on how it looked on Friday when we left, and we cleaned up a little bit, but it was still pretty bad because we've been working it for all week. You know? You know what would happen if all of the people in here that prayed during the week for this church stopped praying? You know what happened if everybody decided, you know what, I'm just going to keep all my money for myself this week? You know what would happen if, well, there'd be a revolt, but you know what would happen if they didn't bring cookies <laughs> on Tuesday? You know, and we had to have a break without cookies? You know? You know what would happen if all of a sudden little things like the coffee maker didn't get turned on? You know? Let Bartles be gone a Sunday. Some of you are going, what happens there? You'd have to come to Sunday school to know that. But um, there's actually donuts here at 9 o'clock. Uh, you know, that, but why? Because, you know, they, they, they said, you know, we can't, this is our ministry. We're going to do this. We want this to be our thing. See, it's so important for all of the other people that we don't know. They're, they're not the Peter, James, and John. They're the James the less, James the Mikras, James the little guy, James the guy who's in the background. And they're so important that when God chose 12, he put one of those guys in there. And that should be incredibly encouraging to you and I. Because so many times, this is what I bump into. I bump into people who say, many of you here, well, it's just, I'm just not that important. My contribution is just not that big. 
You know, I, I don't do the lay leader thing. I don't do the music thing. I don't do the thing. You know, I just kind of show up. Do you understand how important that is? Because your showing up encourages each other to keep coming. We're all part of this. And, and, and that's the great value of this guy, James Lesser. Kids, you know, those of you who are in elementary, junior high, high school, college, listen to me for a minute, okay? Let, let, listen to an old guy for a second, okay? Tell me, you're, you're not old. Well, tell my body that in the morning when it tries to get up. But um, listen to me for a minute. One of the things that's happening right now is you're sitting there and you're plugging away at school and you're one of those middle kids. You're one of those bottom kids. You know, you get on the sports team and you're the guy that's on the bench. And you're the guy that, or you're the girl that, because the team has to play everybody, the coach figures out the least damage you can do Put you in for those two minutes so that you can pull them out. And when you walk onto the court, all the other team goes, oh, no. You're one of those kids. And you just feel like, you know what, I, I just, I, you know, this just isn't my thing, but, you know, I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. And you just kind of keep plugging away at it. Are you one of those kids that, you know, they, they give the test and you're the one that you don't like the kids that are ruining the curve, you know, because they're always getting like 110%. And, and, you know, you're happy to get that 70 because you've studied for that 70 and they got that 110 without even studying. And, and, and it frustrates you. Listen to me. You will be amazed over time how God uses those people in the middle. I love high school reunions when you watch the people in the middle who are supervising the people who are at the top. I love the stories, and I've watched this play out enough, where, okay, you better tell the story, okay? I love the stories where uh, Jimmy had a kid that picked on him when he was in high school and kind of made his life miserable. And Jimmy did the military thing and went to the, the base and was full-time at the base. And the story that I love that he tells is when there was a guy who came in about three or four years later to join. And Jimmy was the one who had to get him all set up and give him permission to do everything and blah, 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 blah. And he stood at his desk and Jimmy said, okay, so you're so-and-so. And he goes, how do, how do I know you? He goes, you used to pick on me in high school. And the guy goes, <laughs> you know, where all of a sudden now it's like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Because you see, that, that's how life plays out often. And for, so for those of you who are a little discouraged right now and you're struggling because you're like one of those middle kind of people or kids and, and everybody else is getting all the t- just hang in there, okay? Because those, those me-cross people, are very valuable in the kingdom of God, and God will use them in great ways as long as they're willing to be used. And I can't say that enough to you because, I, you know, here's my frustration with country people, okay? So I'm going to let a little my city side show and da-da-da. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah, well, you, country, you, you, you're, you have a country mentality. 
Okay? Huh? Well, here's what I mean when I say country mentality. A country mentality tends to say stuff like this. First of all, you're task-driven rather than time-driven. So you don't, you don't worry about whether or not we start at 10 o'clock. City people do. Okay? City people do. City people mean 10 o'clock means 10 o'clock. Country people means, hey, when I get there, I get there. I got to get the task done first. So when the cows get all in and everything gets done, then I'll come to church. Now, what I've started to realize is this. Then church becomes your new task. So you don't care if we get out 11.15, 11.30, whatever else. You're okay to hang around if it goes a little bit longer. Why? Because that's your new task. And then when that task is over, you're going to go to your next task, whatever that is. And that's how you function. That's a country person. A country person has the idea of this concept of um, you're, you're not real excited about professionals. Because the reality of it is you can probably do it yourself. And you could probably do it better than pro professionals just mess stuff up, okay? Um, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of reluctant about some of those kinds of things. What I find as a country person is this. You also don't have the self-confidence that most city people have. And maybe city people have too much self-confidence. I don't know. But what, this, is what struggle, this is what I struggle with in, in pastor and country church. You don't give yourself enough credit for what God can really do with you. That's what I see. Because I'll give you, uh, just, just, I'm, not, I'm not saying country people are worse or better or city people are worse or better, but, but I can tell you this as a pastor. I can tell you that if you, gave me a, if you gave me the choice between taking a whole bunch of professional city people and a bunch of country people that may have never even finished high school, to the mission field, I'll take the country people over the city people in a heartbeat. And here's why. Because there's nothing that's probably closer to the heart of missions than somebody who has to make do with whatever they have and figure it out. And I've learned the value in that. And I learned the value of taking country people over to a mission field because they can adapt a whole lot easier than city people can. I've learned the value of the idea, and this, this is what frustrates me a little bit as a pastor. You don't understand how much God can use you because you are the epitome of the meat cross kind of people. You just do your thing, you plug away, you're loyal, you're consistent, day after day, week after week, month after month, you just plug away with whatever comes. You have no idea how well God can use that in his kingdom. And you underestimate the value that you bring to the kingdom of God. That's why I want to preach this message this morning. Because James is you. James is the guy who's just plugging away. Name's not going to be plastered on any plaque anywhere. People are not going to pay a whole lot of attention to him. Not going to know a lot even about how he dies. We don't know if he was stabbed, whether he was stoned, or whether he was crucified. We think we know what area he headed into. But he was the guy who simply plugged away and served God day after day, week after week, year after year, until he died. He'll one day rule. But you know what he did the whole time he was on the earth? He just served God the best he could. And God said, when I'm choosing 12 people to carry on this thing, 
He's one of the guys. Because I need guys like him. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God needs people that stay in the background, that just do their thing, to plug away and pitch in whenever they can, however they can, and faithfully serve him. And there's incredible value in that person. And if that, if you're here this morning and you, you're kind of struggling, it's like, you know what, I just wish I could do more, and I just don't feel like I'm doing that much, and I don't, no, 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 don't minimize what God can do with a willing heart. Because I got news for you. Something as simple as a cookie can bring a tremendous amount of comfort and encouragement and, and discussion and laughter and all kinds of things. A cookie, folks. Something as simple as, you know what, I've got some extra stuff. We'll take it down to the warming shelter. We'll drop it off at the mission. You know, we got a couple extra dollars this week. Let's go send it to one of our missionaries somewhere. Something as simple as, you know what, I'm going to stick this note somewhere, and every day I'm going to remember to pray for this person in our church who's going through a tough time. And, and I'm going to call them once a week, and I'm going to, I'm, I, you know what, I'm just going to check in on them once a month. Those kind of people are what the church is all about. Those Jameses, those Mikros kind of people, those those those. The only reason we call him James the Less is because he was talked about less. Not because he was less in, in, in importance or significance. Just, be, just like, you know, my mom wouldn't want to go answer the phone and go, well, do you want Big Jim or the one that we don't pay attention to? The one that's not important around here. No. You know, my dad and I both had value to my mom. But I was, I was little Jim. You know? And, and she don't call me Little Jim anymore. Um, you know, <laughs> had somebody hadn't seen me in 30 years, they walked in, they went, you walked in, and I, I said, I swear it was like your dad just walked in that door. And I'm like, nah, I don't weigh like you, and I probably do now. But anyway, <clears throat> that's a whole other story. But I come back to this idea of, look, you know, you may feel like you're in the shadow. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you may feel that, you know, that, that your contribution is, is insignificant, but it's not. You know, you may struggle a little bit with the idea that, that, that God didn't give you the gifts or talents that he gave somebody else. Look, he gave you the gifts that he wanted to give you. He gave you the talents and abilities and all the things that he wanted to give you because he knew what you could handle and he knew what he needed from you in the kingdom and he equipped you for all of those things. Just like he did James, the Mikros guy. Sometimes it's easy to feel like you're forgotten. It's, it's, it's easy to feel like you're less valuable or, or maybe even get jealous at God because he didn't gift you like he gifted somebody else. Please understand your worth is so much more than those things. I like what one commentator said. He said this. He said, the monument that I talked about at the beginning said, here rests in honor and glory an American soldier known only God. But he said, it could be said of many Christians. Here's the unknown Christian, but known to God. And, and I would just challenge you. It's not about who's up front. It's not about who's doing what. It's about all of us doing the part that God's called us to do and to be willing to do whatever God wants us to do. That was the story of James. So 
I hope you understand a little bit of my passion this morning, my little bit of my heart. Don't underestimate what God can do with the church in the middle of a cornfield, in a machine shed building that we plopped a steeple on so people would think it's a church that God can use to not just impact the community. Iraq, Papua New Guinea, Jamaica. You don't know it this week, but you had a part. There's a, there's a group that headed to Haiti with 12 soccer balls to go to an orphanage that you were a part of. You know, I was not a part of that. If you put any money in the offering box, you were part of that. If you pray for this place at all, you were part of that. You're a part of that. Nobody talks about that, but that's what God's doing. That's what God is at work doing. And, and I just want to encourage you, so I'm going to end it with this. James the less is only less because he's not talked about as much as the other guys. His impact on the kingdom is just as significant. He pointed people to Christ and his word. Everyone has value to the work of God. And God, you will use everyone who is willing to be used. Let him use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, sometimes we get so enamored with <clears throat> the pomp and the circumstance and the whole leadership and abilities and gifts and how much we can do and how much we can't. Lord, the reality of it is, Lord, you don't honor giftedness, you honor faithfulness. And Lord, you called us to simply do what we can with the gifts, talents, abilities that we have. So Lord, help us to do that. Lord, for those who you have called to lead, may they lead. For those you have called to serve, may they serve. For those you have called, Lord, to simply plug away and be a, a, even a small light in a very dark place, Lord, help them to do that and to do that faithfully every day. And Lord, when it is all said and done, Lord, may all of the focus go back to you and your word and we accomplish your purposes, not our own. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. These things we ask in your name. Amen.